Welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, an ongoing conversation with makers, thinkers, and doers, where we ask big questions of the small things. Welcome back to our conversation with Robin Christie, where we tackle the church and its response to social injustices in America and its own pain-generating machine. We ask the question, is it still useful? And if so, what for? Stick around. Fifteen seconds, guys. Fifteen seconds is the longest amount of time that most people can tolerate silence, even when there's a call for silence, 15 seconds. But what does that, what does that communicate to us about our, what, what the Christian mystics would describe as our false self in the effort to masquerade and keep us from ever tapping into our true self that the threat of silence is so threatening to the false self because in the silence, the true self might show its head that the false self cannot tolerate silence. Okay. So let's talk about (laughs) that was, and I, I, I didn't let it go. I was intentional on that. You know, I thought, you know, I could prove this right now. I can make a point of this. And I thought, no, that's just more of my ego. Even in the silence, it's still my ego in charge. It's not even my soul. And that's just my world that I live in. Maybe I'll just be a little bit more honest. I've been thinking a lot about the soul and the spirit because I've been doing a lot of shadow work because I failed out of ministry because I was told that my personality wasn't good enough for ministry and I wasn't invited anymore. Okay. So that's obviously a lot of story that'll be coming out as it comes out. There's nothing to hide. So that sent me on a track that said, oh, there's some things I need to pay attention to that I haven't been paying attention to. And it, you know, I've, I've gone to counseling and other things and my counselor is Buddhist. He's an amazing man. I've loved it. I've been reading all kinds of things, which means that there's this whole unbridled space that is untampered from my childhood and from my previous church experiences. That's just explorative. And the exploration involves a lot of Christian mysticism, right? St. John of the Cross, Richard Rohr, other people like that, that say, hey, you know, you are more than just you and you are also not you. Um, You are this soul that exists and there's all this soul work that I've been doing. And as I've been listening, I'm coming to this sense that, and and this actually hasn't been through any of the teachings. This is my own half-processed thought. I'm beginning to sense that our souls don't exclusively reside within us as Mm. I think I grew up believing. I think our souls live in that other world, that world where the energy of the universe comes from, where all created things originate and return to that other side that we all feel connected to when we see 
a beautiful sunset or an amazing piece of art or something that can't be quantified or measured and yet it brings us more life than the things that can be measured and quantified and there is this other reality that makes us real that is really participatory in our experience of the world i i find my yearning for a closeness with that other side increasing and what I think I'm sensing is that that world is actually the home world of my soul. And the way that the soul is built, it actually has two homes, um, but it wants to be in sync with the two and it can't split itself. And so when I draw near to that other world, my soul comes to visit and is delighted. And I think that we are connected to our physical spaces in much more profound ways than we tend to give them credit. We tend to think of ourselves as being able to be any kind of person in any kind of place at any time. And I don't think that that's true. I think that we actually are limited and modified by the physical place that we take up residence um, and the people we surround ourselves with and the things that we do with our time in those places. Um, so that that's kind of where I'm coming from. There's some freedom there. Just that thing you said at the end. Imagine if we could compel people to believe that the location they lived on the earth mattered. Because how many of us are in a place where we find ourselves constantly longing for another place? What if we actually gave ourselves permission to seek that place that we're longing for? I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it does make a lot of sense. And I think that there's lots of different levels to which the place we live can matter. There's obviously economic levels to it, which to me are the most superficial. And then there's kind of the safe theology spaces. And the safe theology spaces, you know, say the place you live matters because you need to care for the people around you and love your neighbor as yourself and all that goodness. But that is still such a depersonalized understanding of your place. Um, and I would, I would say that place doesn't just include the physical dirt under our feet, even though I think that's, there's going to be multiple podcasts dedicated just to that. Um, but I think it also is our place in history and our place in culture and our place in shaping the future. I think it's past, present, and future because past and, pre past and future don't actually exist. Only now exists. Um, only right now is real. Um, and, and, we, and we can never know the future until it's the past, and we're always just experiencing it. Christy, as you're talking about these life experiences that you guys have gone through, it connects back to me and my own story and what I have experienced in a totally different way with totally different life circumstances. But I see the way that my physical body and my physical environment and the dirt under my feet and the roof over my head have physically changed who I consider close at the time in a way that my upbringing didn't prepare me to think about. Hmm. I almost sometimes, I don't know, I'm taking this in another direction, but sometimes I'm grateful I didn't grow up in the church 
because only well, only because when I met Jesus, I didn't have any expectations of what that was supposed to look like for me. So I just met Jesus and just sort of took off, you know? Anyway, I didn't have like preconceived notions. How old were you when you had your Jesus experience? My Jesus moment. I was a freshman in college. Okay. I was 18. Okay. No, but I've just, I've noticed that I've seen, like, just, not that it's bad. There's obviously pros to having parents that know Jesus, right? There's obviously stuff in my childhood I would not want to repeat. But I think some common thread is what I'm hearing Caben say is there's, you're now finding out that you can be free of those maybe preconceived notions and you're free to explore the way you were raised was not bad. It's just that now you're realizing there's this more depth to it than maybe what you what do you call it, like absorbed growing up and thought, quote, you were supposed to be, this is what it looks like. And now you're realizing it looks different. It can look different. Yeah, it can. And and really, you know, if we're going to oversimplify my childhood, it really focused on staying within the corral of right answers. Hmm. And that wasn't just what I literally spoke, but that was how I behaved, who I became friends with, the clothes that I wore, all of it, the choices I made for my profession, the reason why I went to engineering and not something else, all of that was motivated from this corral of rightness and not righteousness, but just rightness. And that definition of rightness was set in place by the generations before me who built the fence of that corral and put certain right things in there and left everything else out. And we're still seeing that play out today as the fences of that crowd do a, a lesser and lesser job actually being useful to the world and the people who are both inside of it or outside of it. Yet, so Richard Rohr has what he describes in his book, Falling Upward. He talks about how all of us have a phase of construction and then we, well, sometimes we just stay there. We just stay in that constructed zone. We never question it and that's it. That's the whole frame of our lives. But then he talks about how there's this whole second half of life that we're welcomed into, but few of us take up the invitation. And the second half of life is a, is a process of deconstruction, which lasts in his mind anywhere from 10 to 30 years. And then you enter a season of reconstruction where you're able to actually piece together in his words, how you were originally designed to be as a human being on earth. Um, and then you end your life in this reconstructed phase that potentially brings more glory to the creator than what was happening beforehand. He likens it to a soldier who goes off to war. And in order to fight effectively in a war, the soldier has to have a certain skill set. And the more effective that soldier is at that skill set, the more likely it is that that soldier will return home. But then returning home, the soldier discovers that all of those skills that have that they've invested so much time and energy into and in which they so closely identify are actually the very things that are preventing them from integrating well into society. And he's not trying to critique anything about the military or any of that. He's simply using it as a metaphor to say that in each of us, we go through childhood learning skills of warfare, of survival, of likability, of success of orientation that gives us a leg up on being able to actually survive this thing called adolescence and young adult. And then when we emerge from that and we actually decide we want to go back home and settle down 
as a person within our own person, we realize that the very skills that got us to a place where we could do that are now self-destructive and ruinous. And I experienced that personally in my own life, which is what led me to falling out of ministry. But that moment is often what kicks off the path of deconstruction. So I would describe myself still as very much inside a zone of deconstruction. Um, but yeah, that gets to what you were saying, Christy, about realizing that the world doesn't have to be what it was um, as a child. I think there's freedom in that, but that's just my opinion. Oh, there's a ton of freedom in that. There's so much freedom that it scares people who aren't in it. Hmm. I'm humming a lot. Sorry. <laughs> You're making church sounds. I'm making church sounds. It just so happens that the three of us have a tradition of Christianity or have come into the tradition of Christianity, but we also find ourselves in this interesting historical moment where Christianity is proving itself insufficient for the complexities of reality. Can I say that? Yeah, absolutely. And now I find myself wondering what that means for me. Can I just go back to your question, or not really question, but your statement earlier about what did you said? Some you said Christianity has has failed, not failed, but I have really bad short term memory right now. You guys, like pregnancy brain, no is no joke. So you just said it about that Christianity is like failing to the times or what can you repeat that? Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm not good at remembering my own words either. Oh, okay. I, I kind of turn off my brain and let my mouth go sometimes for better or for worse. Um, but I think I said something along the lines of Christianity has proven itself to be woefully. Um, well, I'll use this word now. Christianity has proven itself to be woefully incompetent for the complexities of reality. And I wanted to kind of, disagree with you it's kind of as my husband would say it's kind of meta like i think it perfectly well i know what you're talking about in the context of like action and and things like that but i don't think it's woefully like inaccurate or woefully like i don't want to make this about me but so i worked in an er for what six years before we moved up here to stockton um, in January and and then I was an intern before that and blah 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 and I think you you learn a lot about what's broken now granted in my line of work you're learning about what's broken on like a cellular level right um obviously we've seen lately that there's brokenness in our society like in structures and policy and um, things on a, a bigger level but I, I tend to focus on more of the inside a person it was through those experiences like through six years of working in an er where i saw some stuff that's like that i never thought you know who, who thinks they're gonna see stuff like that right um 
I just saw the brokenness firsthand, like a 42 year old father of two just threw a clot and died at a Christmas party, you know, like seeing that, (laughs) um, I've seen, I've seen other things that I don't, you know, that have been tragically, tragically sad. I've seen people with long-term chronic illnesses or, you know, brokenness that's due to, due to people's choices or brokenness that has nothing to do with them. That's just genetic. But I think that it even more emphasizes, at least to me, it kind of grew my faith in a way that like, no, God is not, or I guess when you say Christianity, maybe you're talking about the church. But when I heard it, I kind of thought like, the truth of that became stronger, even when the brokenness increased. Because that you could you could see you could almost see that this was not how stuff is meant to be, like parents aren't supposed to lose their children. Seemingly healthy forty two year olds aren't supposed to just die at a Christmas party, you know, in front of his wife and kids. Like these are not like people aren't supposed to get cancer, you know. People aren't supposed to be murdered by cops, you know. Like, and um, but I think that the truth become even clearer that there's something wrong and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Christy, I, uh, I did about seven years of mental health and uh, developmental disabilities case management. And uh, I think some of that nomenclature is probably out of uh, fashion now. I'm not quite sure what the verbiage is they use now, but I advocated for people who needed help for a mm-hmm. number of years. And I found it interesting that the folks that I advocated for, that based on my experiences with them, I had much different opinions than a lot of folks I went to church with. And a lot of folks I went to church with that didn't know anybody who was, quote unquote, in the system or who had disabilities uh, or who needed help, that a lot of those folks in church had opinions about people in the system that didn't necessarily know anybody in the system. So I imagine you ran into some of that frustration in some of your work is that you lived in an experience that other people didn't live in and other people had very strong opinions about it. Yeah, that's that's true. And even more so now that I work for for an FQHC, a federally qualified health center where, you know, we don't really care who you are or if you have insurance or not. We're mm. going to give you medical care and you deserve quality medical care because, you know, you're a human. Healthcare is a right, not a privilege. So, I mean, I can't even tell you the languages I hear being spoken in our waiting room. And some of these people's stories, I imagine, are just much crazier than I would ever imagine. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people in the church that have an opinion about a lot of our patients, where they come from, how they came here. And at the end of the day is, Maybe it's because I'm a mom now, but I'm pretty sure I would have picked up on this before. And I'm pretty sure a guy would pick up on this. Like when you see parents bringing their kids in, they just want their kids to be taken care of. They just want their grandmas to have the right medication and make them feel better. Like people are people. Sometimes people in the church have these opinions, but they don't actually have any basis for them. No experience, no credibility. I'm like, what are you go? How are you forming this opinion? Yeah. Christy, you are a living beacon of hope for me right now um, because you bear witness 
to goodness in the midst of hardship in a way that the signals I'm picking up don't get until I listen to your story and your story of the people you work with. Um, so thank you, um, because I think that I'm a better person for having listened to your story and the way that you so genuinely believe in the work that you do for the good of people and that that's rooted in a faith perspective of who Jesus is and what he means to you. I think that's wonderful. My curiosity, of course, turns to saying a few different things. It says, goodness, can you just tell us stories all night long? Um, because I, I could use them in my soul. Um, it also turns to curiosity of saying, how did you get there? Was it through the structure of the church or was it through a personal encounter with the divine? The structural question is, is there any predictable pattern that says if people participate in this religious expression, they will become like you, Christy? Because I think that's what it advertises, right? That's what Christianity advertises. Come into our doors, drink our coffee, sit through our two songs, listen to our announcements, and you will become like Christy Cluse, right? Dave, and it's three songs? Three songs. Wow. Look at us stretching it out. Yeah, one one has to be slow, <laughs> but, contemplative. But, People have to be able to lift their hands in praise. Okay, but that that that's the sell point. The sell point is come here and become this amazing human being who is willing to give up better paying jobs, less frustrating environments, lower risk, higher return, blah, 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 all that industrial consumer complex that we live in, you, giving that up to say, my goodness, Parents just want their kids to get the right medicine. What a human statement. What an obvious statement. And yet so much of my own life betrays the truth of that statement. The opinions I carry deny the reality of what is so obviously true in what you said. So the church advertises that they are able to produce people like you. What I'm experiencing right now is that I'm not sure the church does, and I'm beginning to question if the church can. I've been highly critical of many of the churches we've attended, <laughs> to the point where I worked on a Saturday night so that I would have an excuse not to go to church Sunday morning. Because uh, I just didn't want to tell people, like, I don't like church, I'm not going. So I was like, oh, I... I work the night shift on Saturday night, so I need to sleep, which is true, but I kind of did it on purpose. Um, <laughs> I was, however, very committed to our little group of um, peculiar people as we, who had those real authentic conversations and weren't afraid to get uncomfortable about, I don't know, just the church, Jesus, like, what are the truths? How are we seeing it in the world? What does this mean? Um, so I'm grateful for those, those group of people that we met with every week. Um, but the church, it's, that's been hard for me. And I, here I am, Rob's a pastor. Here I am being critical of the church. Although something tells me you probably don't mind. Kevin, I don't think the church 
I don't think the church can produce people like this. I don't think that's its job, if I could say that. I'm 37 years old. I've been following Jesus for almost 20 years. I think that it's because I've had people have real authentic conversations with me who left me space to be just who I was at the time. And I had a lot of growth. I needed to do a lot of realizations. Um, It's also where God put me physically. Um, Like you said in the beginning of the podcast, you know, what I have been in a very affluent, pretty much all white section of California. Uh, Would that have ever been my first choice? No, but that's where we ended up for a long time. And I'm grateful for it. Because I learned a lot at my job and my job doesn't define me. And like no one's job defines them, but you're more than that is what I'm trying to say. But I grew a lot there spiritually and I wasn't expecting to. It was just seeing the brokenness, whether that was, you know, like I said before, like broken chemical reactions in your brain to just that the world is messed up and bad things happen. It just made the truth of Jesus even sink even deeper. So at some point you have to take what you learn at church and at some point you have to make it real. Like, is this real? Like there was a a point where you're like, okay, this is either real or it's not. Just when you see that brokenness, it's so weird because it's, I don't, you don't want to talk about, people don't want to talk about depressing things or sad things. No one wants to talk about the dead three-year-old that we all were messed up over for a really long time. But, but that's where the rubber meets the road, to use a catchy phrase. That's where you find out, you know, is this real or is it not? There's just something other, there's like something outside of you. Even my co-workers who have no, they they had, they weren't in the church. They didn't, you know, they weren't Christians that they wouldn't have called themselves that. And, but they knew something was wrong about certain things we saw. Like they knew things were broken. That's that other part of you, right? Like that's the part of you that longs for that, that place that, that isn't broken. Like, how do you recognize brokenness if you don't recognize the opposite? So I was grateful for those years. And I think it just slowly transforms you as you work through the grief and you work through that. And then, you know, the that was just at work. But then you work through stuff in our instance when you have six, six years of infertility and a pretty rough adoption journey. Um, becoming parents was not easy for us. So I don't know. Those truths either get deeper or you have to give them up and say these are not true but they kept digging in yeah i I think that's i think that's beautiful i kind of went on a rampage no my goodness that's there nothing could have been better i want to circle back to something you said christy because i think back to what you said about you're not sure if the purpose of the church is to make people who talk about the world like you talk about the world. Um, so either one of you, um, what the heck is the purpose of the church? Well, um, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting question uh, because it, I guess it kind of depends on which era of history you live through. Um, if I can, let me go ahead and 
quote an article that one Caben Kramer posted to Facebook from, is it pronounced Brian Zond or Zand? I don't actually know him. Yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but, you know, when you ask the question, what is the church supposed to be? What is Christianity supposed to be? Let's start with the scriptures. And here's a beautiful article that you shared earlier. And it starts by saying this, I have a problem with the Bible. Here's my problem. I'm an ancient Egyptian. I'm a comfortable Babylonian. I'm a Roman in his villa. That's my problem. See, I'm trying to read the Bible for all it's worth, but I'm not a Hebrew slave suffering in Egypt. I'm not a conquered Judean deported to Babylon. I'm not a first century Jew living under Roman occupation. I'm a citizen of a superpower. I was born among the conquerors. I live in the empire, but I want to read the Bible and think it's talking to me. This is a problem. So I think it's just a very difficult question for us to answer. Um, because we can't extract our experience of the church and Christianity from the context in which we were born. Um, you know, even if we, if we try, you know, the, the gospels, you know, the early Christian experience was, uh, an experience of oppressed people and we are not, uh, are oppressed people and we are not oppressed people in 21st century America for the most part, at least in my own culture. So, uh, that's a really tough question to answer, and I just try to be mindful that um, my life has been a lot easier than it was for the first couple generations of Christians. So I see only what I can see through the densely leafed trees of my orchard, which means I don't see much very clearly. And what I see the church as a whole unit participating in is a mixture of beauty and tragedy, as I suppose it always has been. But I've been interacting with more and more friends who have fallen on the side of tragedy. And I wonder if the pain that those people have experienced has been worth what the church has gotten some other way. I wonder if the purpose of the church is not to create compassionate people who see every person and say a parent just wants their kid to have the right medicine and who laments over the death of a three-year-old who allows their well-being to be interrupted by the lives of many others. If the church is not forming a people who are bringing healing to a broken world, but the church is participating in culture wars and myopic arguments and defensive positions i wonder at its utility christy you got anything on this oh i'm so not the right person for this podcast (laughs) Um, that means yes she has something she wants to say (laughs) i would say that if you asked some acquaintances that i know that are big in uh, medical ethics and access, you know, bringing medicine to the underserved, they would agree that the church has probably done more damage than they've been helpful. And they've hindered a lot of progress. Um, Are they slightly skeptical? Are they, are they a little bitter? I don't know what their background is. Probably a little bit of you know, probably a little bit of everything, um, but there's truth in that. Yeah, it's when you ask me what church I go to, I almost 
was in almost was embarrassed to say that I belong to church. It, not because I'm ashamed of them. I'm I'm proud of of again of how they've grown and things that they've learned as an organization. But you almost don't want to be associated with a church these days because people assume certain things about you. I wonder if it, this whole national movement perhaps is a wake up call to the church. But they've had many many chances. The American church, at least, many chances in history. Not even the ancient history. Just let's take the last fifty years. They've had a time to to really make a difference, and they've remained silent. So, your question of is it useful, Kaben? I'm not sure how to answer that because I can see yes and no. Un- unpack for me the yes. I think in times of uncertainty, people find comfort. I think it's comforting to people i don't know if rob rob may agree or disagree um well i uh you know i for as many frustrations as i might have with the church i'm sure there's a million other people out there that have different frustrations that they feel equally as passionately about but you know the uh the late uh sainted rachel held evans you know said that something to the effect of for as much frustration as she had with the church, these are still the people that brought her soup when she was sick. Um, and, uh, you know, this church that I occasionally find myself being frustrated with is the church that gave a value to my life that I haven't experienced elsewhere. Um, and I have to say that stuff to myself to remind myself not to be so pessimistic. Um, to remember that I'm not so different from those folks that I might be frustrated with from time to time. But uh, that's not to try to minimize what you're saying, Christy. I'm just speaking, I'm speaking against myself here. Oh, no, I, I mean, these are the people that supported us immensely through our infertility and then through our adoption and the failed adoptions. And I mean, I, I can't, this is what I, you know, in my intro, I was, sometimes I'm too critical of the church, but I, but you can't have Jesus without the people, right? right. <laughs> like that's that's pretty clear. Um, so I think you just have to learn to. When I was younger, I would be more, much more. Uh, people will call it passionate, but I'd be just much more like, oh, this and that, and radical, and I, you know, we need to go to a radical place. And and now that I'm older and I'm a mom, I think, you know, that's still that's still in me, right? The anti-floof is always going to be in me, but, um, but it's okay. But you know, they don't have to be perfect, right? And they're not going to be. Right. So it's, it's either, either take them or leave them. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. I still land on the side of calling it home, calling the path of Jesus, the path that I want and seek to follow. I wonder in the hours that I wander my property alone, I just wonder sometimes if there's a organizing principle for the people of God that is an alternative to the current organizing principle that might be a breath of fresh air. And of course, experiences in Kenya and India and Nepal and Slovenia and Czech Republic and other places around the world have helped inform a perspective that says, yeah, actually there, there are lots of organizing 
principles about what it means to organize as the people of God, the people on the pathway of Jesus. And man, it just, it breaks my heart when I see Christians more interested in the right answer than engaging the reality of daylight murders. It it breaks my heart when I hear pastors say, you know, racism is a matter of the heart. Only Jesus can heal it when, you know, they, they don't say domestic abuse is the matter of the heart. Only Jesus can heal it. So we shouldn't interfere with domestic abuse cases. Uh, we should leave that alone. That's just for Jesus. Let's pretend it doesn't exist. Um, that's just not how we treat things that aren't idols. I hurt. I hurt because I'm inside the tribe that is wounding and I'm wounded by it. I hurt for the wounded. And I hurt because Jesus, who I love, um, I wonder where he is sometimes. You know, the the great hope that I have is, um, you know, knowing myself better than most people know me, I would imagine. Whatever grace that that Jesus is extending to people that I am frustrated with, I need that same grace extended to me because I know that not only am I equally frustrating in the minds of other people, but but uh, I am legitimately probably frustrating to God on a number of levels. Um, so I need that grace. Hashtag church answer. <laughs> Hashtag felt bored Jesus. <laughs> Just kidding. That was so uh, not. Where? <laughs> no, I appreciate your. I appreciate your answer. I think the white church got comfortable, and I think, I think they made Jesus into something that he wasn't. I think they forget that he made people really uncomfortable. So yeah, I think we need that grace, and uh, I think that was a good way to end it. That to remember that I need that grace too. Because I have the privilege of being really comfortable in my society. Um, so I, I think I, I need to just keep an eye on that and, uh, and ask for more grace. And that's our show. Thank you for joining in this ongoing conversation as we seek to unearth meaning in the everyday stuff of life. For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at www.ofdustanddivinity.com. Next week, we pick up on the thread of power, agency, and influence. Here's a sneak peek. Going back to one of the big things that shaped the whole trajectory of my life was really a car wreck when I was still a teenager, boarding school. And my father's medical condition just couldn't really be handled at the the health organizations that we had available in Kenya. So ultimately my parents decided it was better to return to the U.S. and there would at least be family. Over the years what kind of stuck in the back of my mind was that my family could just leave. Like if we needed health care, we had the ability to leave. I recognized that there are a lot of people around the world who don't have access to just basic health care. You know, getting checkups for pregnancy, um, getting vaccines, 
So that's really what steered me toward healthcare and a lot of what I do right now. There are a lot of really highly qualified trained professionals in Kenya and Ethiopia and you know all over the world. That's where I've steered a lot of my life. Um, you know, kind of recognizing that I have resources and access to things not because of something I ever did. It was just, you know, the family I was born into. That's complicated. A huge thank you to my wife for supporting this passion project. And a great big thank you to Michelle Lim of Clementine Brands for all the brand content, including the name of this podcast and the cover art. As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart, and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them. And the point is, to live everything. Live the questions now.